Luke chapter 13, verse 1. There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Are those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. And then over to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 7, we start with verse 5. <clears throat> For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort which, with which he was comforted by you as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. As I reflect back on my life, and that becomes a, a bigger challenge as the days go by and the weeks go by and the years go by, I look back and I actually have very few regrets in my life. I know a lot of people who are really plagued by their regrets. They struggle with the idea 
uh, all the things that they wish they would have done, all the things that they wish they could have done, uh, all the things they wish they should have done uh, or shouldn't have done, uh, and they look back, and I know some people are even paralyzed with the number of regrets that they have. And I'm really thankful because as I look back, I, I really don't have any regrets, any significant regrets at least. And I was reflecting on why that is. You know, why is it that I don't have regrets? Because it's not because I haven't done things wrong. In fact, I do things wrong almost every single week. I hope that doesn't offend anybody too terribly or, or surprise anyone too terribly. I know it doesn't surprise Karen, but, uh, but just about every week, you know, I make mistakes. Just about every week, I misjudge things. Just about every week, you know, things happen like this. Uh, and certainly as I look back on my life, there are certainly tons of sins I've committed, uh, tons of things that I've done that weren't healthy, that weren't right, uh, tons of things I could have done, should have done, but actually I don't have any regrets. And I was wondering, why is that? Why don't I have these regrets? Why am I not plagued by this? Uh, and I think there's two things. One is because I always look forward in faith. I'm kind of a forward-looking person, and, and certainly that is the case, and I try to walk by faith and not by sight, live by faith and not by sight. But two, and probably even more importantly, is that years and years and years ago, I learned about repentance. And I learned how important repentance is, not only when we come to faith in Christ, because we all repent when we come to, into a genuine relationship with Christ. In fact, if you haven't repented of your sin, you haven't come into a relationship with Christ. I mean, it's essential. God's grace leads us to a point of repentance. But it's not only at that point, it's every day, it's every time we do something wrong, every time that we walk in a wrong way or we miss an opportunity, it's a, a time, a call for us to repent, to turn away from what we've done, to turn away from what we've not done, and turn back fully to the Lord. And as we repent, as we're walking in that reality, what God does is that He takes the things that we've done wrong, He takes the messes that we've made, and He uses them to create something rather beautiful. He uses them to redeem situations. He uses them to set us back on the right path. He uses them to cause us to grow stronger. And he uses those things even in the lives of other people around us. And all of that is activated as we engage in this repentance. And I think because I'm looking forward by faith, and also I'm choosing to repent on a regular basis continuously, I think that's why I don't have regrets. And I think that that's how we can all live a life as Christians without regrets, if we learn about repentance here. And so we're going to talk about that a bit today. And the text we look at today looked at this. And we have to understand when we're talking about repentance that this is not something isolated from the Christian life. Repentance, discipleship, and faith, they all go together. 
You can't have faith and discipleship without repentance. You can't have discipleship, you can't be a follower of Jesus without repentance and faith. And you're really not living by faith if you're not learning how to repent. So these things are all connected together. But in order to understand repentance and how important it is, we first need to understand, we first need to understand the dynamic of sin and specifically what does not happen because of sin. Because most of us, when we repent, we repent out of fear, particularly out of fear of God. I mean, there's many times, it's a bit, we treat, sometimes we treat God a bit like Santa Claus. You know, he's watching us, he's going to find out who's naughty and nice, you know, and then come that time of year, he's going to put a lump of coal in our stocking, only most of the time, it's kind of like he's going to make us a lump of coal and toss us into hell so that we burn with fire for all eternity. And there are even some Christians that live in this constant fear that, oh, if I sin at all, then somehow God's going to disown me and cast me away, and he won't let me follow him anymore. And that's completely wrong. And then we also have some ideas that, well, when we sin, bad things happen to us because we sin. And so if something bad happens in our lives, uh, then that's because we sin. And uh, if, we don't, if we miss an opportunity, it's always because we sinned. It's because we've messed up somehow. And actually, Jesus corrects this notion. And actually, Paul even corrects this notion that somehow all the stuff that happens to us in life is connected with sin, and somehow God is angry with us, and somehow that you know, things happen and God's going to strike us down, and so we should live in fear of God. Because Jesus here, he's talking to the disciples, and there's a, a, a word comes that there's a number of Galileans. Remember, Jesus grew up in the area of Galilee. Uh, most of the disciples were from Galilee. It's kind of like Yorkshire. Uh, and uh, and they, were, they, they, they were in there, and there was a bunch of Galileans that Pilate killed them and mixed their blood with their sacrifices. Now, Pilate was not a very good guy. How do you, you know that? And so the people came, and they're like, oh gosh, these Galileans must have been really sinful people because they suffered this awful fate from Pilate. And Jesus says, no, this is not because they were worse sinners than other people. Jesus is saying here that bad things happen because there are evil people in the world. And many of the bad things that we experience in life is because there are evil people in the world. Uh, in Youth Connect this morning, we were watching a, a lecture by a guy named Hugh Ross, and he was referring to Hitler. Uh, and all the evil that happened in World War II happened because of Hitler, not because the German people are evil, but because Hitler was evil. And so there's a lot of bad things that happen because there are evil people in the world. And then, Jesus goes on and corrects another notion. He says, hey, about those people that the Tower of Siloam, they fell on them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than other people? What's Jesus saying here? He's saying that sometimes bad things happen because we're living in a dangerous world. We're living in a broken world. This is a world where you can get sick. 
This is a world where you can, you can walk out in front of a bus and get run over. This is a world where they're terrorists. This is a world where they're violent, evil people. This is a world where there are earthquakes and there are tornadoes and there are hurricanes and there's all these kinds of things and sometimes bad things happen because we live in a messed up world that's very dangerous sometimes. So it doesn't mean that it happens because of your sin. Although he does say, but if you don't repent, you may also perish. Now Paul adds to this. When we started reading the text today, notice what Paul said. He said, when we came into Macedonia, we were constantly struggling. Our bodies had no rest. Struggles without and fears within. I imagine most everybody here has had struggles without and fears within. So clearly, this must have all happened because Paul was not obeying Jesus. Because if he was obeying Jesus, then he would have walked into this and everything would have been fine. That's not the case. Remember, why did Paul go to Macedonia? Do you remember? He had what? Does anybody? A dream. And in the dream, there was a man from Macedonia saying, come here, come here. And Paul understood that to be God telling them to go into Macedonia. So here is Paul obeying God. And he's having struggles. Here is Paul doing exactly what God commanded him to do. And he's having a difficult time. And so you see what the scripture says here. It's saying to us that sometimes bad things happen in this world because there are evil people in this world. Sometimes bad things happen in this world. Sometimes bad things happen in this world because it's a broken, dangerous place. Sometimes bad things happen in this world even when God, we're following God's leading. We can have fighting without and fears within. And so we need to understand that we can't look at our lives and start to say, well, I must be good because nothing bad's happening to me, or I must be bad because something is. Or I look at my life and say, well, because I'm, I'm struggling with this issue in my life, it must mean I don't have faith. Or because I'm struggling with people, it doesn't mean, must mean I don't have faith. Or because I lost my job, it must mean that I'm in sin somehow. Uh, or because something tragic has happened and my, and my cooker has just gone out, that God is punishing me for something that I've done wrong. That's absolutely not the case. And the scriptures want us to understand this. Because if we don't understand it, what happens is we start to use repentance. We start to use repentance to get things. So we say we use repentance almost like a magic tool to say, okay, if something bad's happening, then I'll repent of whatever sin that I've committed, even though I don't know what sin I've committed. Because if I repent, then God will be forced to do something. Or if I repent, that means that I can be confident that God loves me. No, the truth is God loves us whether we repent or not. God loves us whether bad things are happening in our lives or not. And so we have to have this as our foundation and not start evaluating God's love for us or evaluating the quality of our lives or the quality of our obedience based on whether or not things are going easy or whether or not things are difficult. 
Sometimes the scriptures tells us that things will get even more difficult when we're following what the Lord calls us to do. And that's the case, and we need to understand it, and we need to embrace that. But Jesus also says, and this is very important for us, that if we do not repent, then something worse can happen to us. If we do not repent, we will likewise perish. The word perish there, it doesn't mean that we will die. Uh, the word perish there has a range of meanings which can include being ruined, being destroyed, experiencing a loss, experiencing a difficulty. There can be things that happen to us if we do not repent. And so Jesus is encouraging us to repent. He's telling us we need to repent. Now why? Because if we fail to repent, it weakens us. If we fail to repent, our senses are dulled spiritually, morally, socially, emotionally, relationally, and physically. When we're carrying around sin in our lives, it has an impact on our alertness. I have seen many people who are not walking in repentance as Christians who fall into a trap of Satan. And they don't even see it coming because they weren't living a life of repentance. So it does weaken us if we fail to repent. Failing to repent also exposes us to the devil's schemes. So when we're weak, we become more vulnerable to Satan's attacks against us. Oftentimes, if, if we have, especially if we have what's called a besetting sin, that's a sin area of particular weakness for us, if we fail to repent in one area of our lives, we can become more weaker dealing with this besetting sin, and Satan will attack us right in that area. But repentance then strengthens us. Failing to repent also disrupts our relationship with God. God doesn't disown us, but certainly that relationship is disrupted. Just like in, you know, I've used this illustration many times, that if I am not acting in a way that I know is pleasing to my wife, then that means that negative things come into our relationship. She cooks mushrooms and rice and that kind of stuff instead of pasta and potatoes, proper food. You know, those kinds of things happen because it disrupts our relationship when we're not walking in righteousness. And as I said, failing to repent can actually lead to us perishing. So obviously, repentance is something very, very important to the Lord, and it's something that's very, very important to our lives. So we have to live in this repentance. We need to be practicing repentance, genuine repentance, every single day. And the parable that Jesus tells is a parable that's urging the people to repent. Because our repentance has a time limit on it. God doesn't just wait infinitely for us to repent. Repentance has a time limit on it. We know our salvation is time limited by our life. If you fail to turn your life over to God in Jesus Christ, in this life, you fail. Your life is time bound and you have this life in which to respond to the invitation for eternal life from Jesus Christ. But in the same way, when we're walking with God, 
God doesn't just say, okay, well, you just go on and sin, and you sin as long as you want to, and there won't be any negative consequences. No, God will let us go on for a very long period of time because His desire is for us to repent. And just because God wants us to repent, it doesn't mean that if there are good things in your life, that you're right with God. Just like it doesn't mean if there are bad things in your life that you're carrying sin around, if there are good things happening in your life, it doesn't mean that you're completely right with God. Paul tells us in, in Romans, he says, do you not know that it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance? God is kind to us, and His kindness is, desired, is designed to draw us to Him in repentance. And so Jesus tells this parable. And the parable is about a gardener who has a fig tree in his garden, and the fig tree has not produced figs for three years. And so the, guard, the, the owner says, cut it down to the vine dresser. In other words, the gardener is tired of having this tree that's not producing fruit. And so he says, cut it down. And then the vine dresser comes in and says, no, 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 wait, give me some time. Give me some time. Give it another year. And then if it doesn't produce fruit, you can cut it down. You see, failing to produce the fruit of repentance has consequences to it. And we only have a limited time to produce the fruits of repentance. So God is going to try to provoke us to produce the fruits of repentance. And how does he do it? There's two ways that God will often work in our life. If his kindness doesn't work to lead us to repentance, then he'll do what the vine dresser does. And the vine dresser does two things. The first thing is he stirs up the ground. He digs up around the tree. And so if we do not respond to God's kindness in our repentance, the first thing he does, he starts to disturb our lives. He'll start to mess things up. Things will get a little disrupted, will become uneasy, uncomfortable somehow, because God is digging away. And then the second thing he does, he puts on fertilizer. And the most popular form of fertilizer in those days was manure. So if you've got a lot of stuff happening in your life, it can actually be God pouring fertilizer on you to produce the fruit of repentance. So what does he do? He gives you time. He shows you kindness. If that doesn't work, then he'll start to disrupt your ground make you feel real uncomfortable and really uneasy, and then he'll start to dump a load of manure on you, a load of fertilizer on you, to provoke you into repentance, and that's producing fruit. John the Baptist, how do we know this? John the Baptist called this, and he said, produce the fruit of repentance, and that's what the parable here is talking about, the fruit of repentance. And so we need to respond to this, and we need to learn how to do this. We need to engage in genuine repentance. So what is genuine repentance, and how do we know that we're really repenting? Those are the two key, key questions here. What is repentance? And repentance, I'm going to give you four R's to help you understand repentance. It's slightly different than I've taught it before, just to give you a new way to look at, look at it. The first R is recognize. Recognize. 
recognize. You need to recognize and confess your sin, your brokenness, or your wrongdoing. You must recognize it and confess it. And by confess it, I'm not saying talking to God that way in quiet. I'm saying you need to speak it out. God, I am sorry I have done this thing or said this thing or not done this thing and it was wrong. And you know the Bible also tells us to confess our sins to one another. That's why we do the steps to freedom in Christ here, by the way. It's a fulfillment of that command in James to confess our sins to one another. We bring it out into the open. So if we're going to repent, genuine repentance involves first recognizing and confessing with our mouths what we have done that is wrong. Being very clear about it and not even trying to justify it. So if uh, maybe Joshua and I have an issue, we don't ever have issues, but maybe Joshua and I has, have an issue and, uh, and I say something to Joshua uh, that's really hurtful and inappropriate, uh, it's not enough for me just to say, well, God, you know, I'm sorry I said this to Joshua, but he was really mean to me and I think he deserved it. Do you know that's not repentance, that's justification. So we have to recognize and confess our sin, our wrongdoing. And then we need to renounce our sin. We need to renounce our wrongdoing, renounce our brokenness. And this means literally that we turn our whole self away from it. You might have heard many messages on repentance that talks about repentance as a change of mind. That is not an accurate understanding of biblical repentance. Repentance is a change of the whole person. So in repentance, you know you're going the wrong way and you turn your whole person the other direction. So if I'm turning my whole person away from my sin, but I'm looking back and saying, oh, I really need to go back. Oh, I kind of miss doing that. Oh, that's so sad that I haven't done that. You know what? You're not repenting. You're not repenting. Repentance means you turn your whole self away from it. Mind, will, emotions, body, everything that you are, you turn away from the sin. Without that, you haven't really repented. You haven't really repented. So you have to recognize it, then you renounce it, then you need to replace it. You need to replace it. And you replace it with godly behavior. You have to replace it with godly behavior. Many times we talk about ministering in the opposite spirit. So if you find yourself and you're a, you're, you're, you've been greedy, you say, God, I recognize I've really been greedy here. I'm turning my whole self away from the greed. And now I'm going to choose to be extra generous because the opposite of greed is generosity. Giving away instead of taking away. So we turn away from it. But you've got to replace it with something. There are a lot of times that men, you know, a lot of men struggle with lust in the world. Uh, I've very rarely met a man that hasn't at some level struggled with some kind of lust. I mean, it's real. And many women do too, so I'm not picking on men. 
Oh, but what I have found is that if all we do is say, God, I'm sorry, you know, I recognize that I've lusted and I turn away, I renounce that lust, if we don't replace it with the superior desire for Jesus, with the superior desire for righteousness, we'll always struggle. And that's true with any sin. If you feel like your sin is overeating or comfort eating, you can say, God, I recognize that my overeating is sin. I renounce it. I turn my whole self away from it. But you've got to eat something else. If it's not food, then you consume the Word of God. You consume fellowship with people. There's got to be something else that replaces that. So we have to recognize we have to renounce, we have to replace, and then the final step is we re restore. We restore our relationships. And the first relationship we restore is with God. So we say, God, I recognize this is sin, I confess it as sin, I renounce it, I turn my whole self away from it, I replace it with a desire to walk in righteousness, and God, I want to be your child, I want to walk as your child, and I thank you that I am your child, and I pray that we would have a restoration in our relationship. If I'm going back to the situation with Joshua, where I feel like I've wronged Joshua, guess what I've got to do? I go to Joshua and say, Joshua, man, I'm sorry, I, I committed this sin again, I don't say, Joshua, I sinned against you because you were really mean to me. But I say, Joshua, I'm sorry I sinned against you uh, and I want our relationship to continue. And Joshua, being the great guy that he always is, says, sure, Rod, I I'm happy to do that. Uh, can I borrow a 20? <laughs> no, he, he, doesn't, he never says that. He never says that. But it's a... <laughs> yeah. So you see what has to happen. That's what genuine repentance is all about recognize, renounce, replace, and restore. And if you fail in any one of those areas, you have not completed the work of repentance. And many times, we don't get free from sin because we recognize maybe and renounce, but we don't replace. Or we recognize that it's sin, but we keep walking in it. Or we recognize, we renounce, we replace, but we don't take time to restore those relationships. But we have to do all four in order for us to experience the fruit of repentance. And it's the fruit of repentance that God's looking for. It's the completed process that God wants to see in our lives. So what are the indicators? How do we know if we're walking in this? Well, there's at least five indicators here. One is our struggle against the sinful behavior. Now, there are times, frankly, when it's really hard to recognize and renounce. And there are times when we're really struggling. And we can feel really defeated. But let me tell you, folks, if you are struggling with sin, if you hate your sin that is a sign that you're bearing the fruit of repentance, even if the work of repentance has not been completed. So the struggle is one of those indicators that we are repenting, that we're going, we're going through the process. Another indicator, and these are, is godly grief. Oh, excuse me. Uh, another, excuse me, another indicator is our earnestness to do what is right. 
If you have an earnestness, a hunger to do what is right. That's what Paul was telling the, 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 the Corinthians. He said, oh, you guys got a lot of zeal to do the right thing. And so the zeal can be an indicator that we're repenting. Godly grief is another indicator. When we experience physical and emotional pain because of our sin. Now there are times when I have sinned when I just go, oh God, I am so sorry. And it hurts. It hurts me physically. That's grief. That's godly grief. When we have sorrow and we're weeping, we're crying. So if we've got the earnestness, if we've got the godly grief, and then also we're producing the fruit of repentance, this is an indicator that we're walking in it. Part of the fruit of repentance is stopping the sinful behavior. If we stop that behavior, that's a fruit of repentance. Another fruit of repentance is where we winnow the chaff from our lives. This is what John the Baptist was telling the guys to do. Where you've got all this residue and all this junk in your life that kind of accumulates that's really worth nothing. Well, you kind of sift it out of your life and you put it to the side. That's a fruit of repentance. Another fruit of repentance is where you start to behave in ways that are both morally and beneficially good. It's not only moral goodness that God's after, but actually acting in ways that benefit other people. That's a fruit of repentance. And another fruit of repentance where I began today was actually having salvation without regret. We can actually get to a point where we have remorse for what's happened, but where God takes what has happened and takes it and uses it to produce righteousness, uses it to produce something that is beneficial, something that is genuinely good. So we are called to repent. We are called to recognize our sin, to renounce our sin, to replace our sin, and to restore our relationships. And this is what God is calling us to as he's calling us to genuine repentance. And salvation without regret is only possible when we're living a life of genuine repentance. And we have to remember that repentance always works. When you go to the Lord and you, you recognize your sin, you renounce it, you turn away, you replace it with righteousness, and you restore your relationships, that always works, not because you do it, and not because you've done it right, or because you've done it perfectly. It always works because of the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ is what gives us gives power to our repentance. And we have to remember as well that repentance is a gift of God's grace. It's not a work that we stir ourselves up to do. It is the grace of God being manifested in our lives. God's grace activates our repentance. And in addition, our repentance taps into God's grace. So God starts it out by grace but as we do it, and as we walk through it, we also begin to experience even greater levels of grace from the Lord. And this repentance ultimately will release us into the fullness of the joy of our salvation in Jesus Christ. We're in a season, I think a season in the world, 
where we need to be people who live and practice genuine repentance every single day of our, day of our lives. We cannot afford to be vulnerable any more than we are. We certainly can't afford to be vulnerable to the schemes of Satan and to our own weaknesses. We need that relationship with God. We need to walk into that repentance. And God is challenging us to produce the fruit of repentance in our lives every single day. And we can do it by God's grace. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this beautiful gift of repentance. And Father, as we go into this time of worship, I pray that you would release us fully into it, that we would really begin to experience it in greater and greater and greater levels. By your grace, just minister to us today in the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.